A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. First of all, I don't accept uh, that all lives are of equal value. My, my children's and my grandchildren's life is worth much more than mine because they've got a lot more of it ahead. The whole concept of quality life years ahead is absolutely fundamental if one's going to look at the value of these things. That's Lord Sumption last week talking about why a lockdown harms everyone whilst isolation of the most vulnerable is a better way. And, you know, if those people die, well, they're of less value than the young. Is he right on that? We keep on hearing from some quarters that lockdowns are a cure worse than the disease itself, in particular in relation to the damage it's doing to the economy. But death is real. The economy is something that mankind has cooked up. So is he right to set one up against the other? And is he right that some lives are worth more than others? I'm Phil Dobby. We'll look at that today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keane. Welcome along. So, Steve, the attitude of some uh, over this whole COVID-19 thing is that, uh, that, that we should just shield the old and let everyone else work so that the economy doesn't suffer. And look, if, if a few old die as a, as a result of that, that's just the price we have to pay because at least it's keeping the the economy ticking over. And of course, it is mainly the uh, the old who've died from COVID-19. So so let's take the position of this group of people who have this view. Let's let's call them the cold, heartless bastards. Um, that's, not, that's a good yeah. That's that's a good value free title. Yeah, that'll no, do as a description. Yeah, well, yeah, it is value. I'm not. I'm just. I'm not saying they are cold, heartless bastards. I'm just calling them in this situation a group of, uh, let's call them actors that we will define as cold, heartless bastards. Uh, They say, uh, you know, we shouldn't isolate because the over 60s are holding back the economy. So have they got a point on that? Mm. I mean, if you wanted to sit down and do a calculation, which first of all, assumption number one, let's assume people over that age, over whatever age we're talking about, aren't human anymore. That's always an important part of the sort of economic calculus. And, and then you say, if we don't actually have to spend money on them, we can spend it on, you know, more, more relevant stuff today, like, you know, fireworks. And it's a... We could is, eat more avocado on toast, for example. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's dehumanising. And that mm. is probably what I find uh, most repulsive about the whole thing, that these people who are talking about rational calculation are leaving out the the essence of humanity itself and being so-called rational while at the same time and i'd love to do a venn diagram of these people a complete one here where do you over here are three circles where do you stand because they seem to be uh they they seem to be so-called pro-life so that means they're anti-abortion um they're also pro the death penalty and Mm. here now they're coming along and and saying that they, they, they you know we shouldn't worry about old people dying because they're old um it, 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 the capacity to hold, you know, antagonistic attitude. I'm pro-life. That's why I'm in favour of old people dying of COVID. Um, yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah. But it, it is, uh, it is a bit bizarre. Isn't it? Look, the reason why I, I thought we should cover this today was because this mm. week Lord Sumption, who is a Sumption, uh, Sumption. 
He's yeah. sumptuous. Okay. He, yeah, he leads okay. a sumptuous life, I think, and makes mm-hmm. lots of assumptions maybe when he's there because he's been a, a former Supreme Court judge. He was on a, a BBC TV show this week. This is a bit of a worry, though. This is, the, this, this is the sort of people who are making judgment calls. Uh, mm. But uh, he was talking about the value of human life. He just said it's a fact that uh, older people are worth less. They have less value because they have less to live. And he was, uh, he was talking about that in relation to uh, lockdowns and the impact on the economy, but also arguing over, you know, who should and who shouldn't get vaccines uh, and unfortunately he was getting questioned by a, a stage four cancer patient uh, who asked whether her life was less valuable than someone who was perfectly healthy uh, to which he didn't give a direct answer but you could tell the answer as far as he was concerned was uh, mm. uh, was yes so you know w- what a shame if someone over 70 dies or someone with a terminal illness dies before their time uh, if it means everyone else can go to work that's going to be good for the economy I mean that's the uh, that's the argument isn't it yeah, to, to me, it's just a, we're seeing some classic instances of what it means to have a, a market-oriented way of thinking about uh, humanity. Because if you, like this is all dependent upon us being in a capitalist economy where you try to put a monetary price upon virtually everything. Mm. If you take, if you imagine, if we were back in um, in the uh, Kalahari Desert or on the uh, in the, the Rift Valley or uh, that's that's sort of early Cro-Magnon uh, society. Uh, your elders were the ones who knew everything. And it was a great tragedy when one of the elders went because their knowledge was lost. Mm. Um, and that, that respect for the, el- uh, respect for the, the seniors was a, I mean, if you look at, say, what is more fundamental in human society, is it uh, valuing a group on the basis of their contribution to the economy or valuing wisdom? And clearly, the, the, there's no wisdom in the valuations these people are making. Um, it's, mm. it's also, I mean, the, there, is, there are so many elements to this because, you know, you better, you better interrupt me because I've often as like, I, could, I can rave on this one for quite a while. No, but I like the direction you're going because even just, you know, even, you know, the value that we place on older employees is an example of that, isn't it? That, you know, once you're over 40, you're over the hill. Uh, yeah. The companies would rather hire a 20-something, whereas the over 40s got, uh, or it's something, you know, the over 50s have got so much more knowledge uh, that they can impart. And, okay, there's the, the assumption that a lot of it is out-of-date knowledge, but there's a lot of things that just, don't go out of date. Well, look, the, I mean, and it's wisdom that, that you mentioned. That turned up on the financial markets because by the time we had the 2000 stock market bubble, everybody who experienced the 87 stock market crash wasn't there anymore. Um, mm. Now, mm. If, you, if, you'd, <laughs> if you'd had the wisdom, you know, the wisdom of ages and, can, and people who experienced 1929 and, and 1966, uh, which is the beginning of break, breakdowns, 1973 and 1982 and 1987, um, those years together. And so here we go again. I've seen this one before. Yeah. Um, you know, I know where this one ends. And you would therefore potentially not have had the bubble in the first place. So this lack of this focus upon youth and the ignorance of wisdom is a major part of why we end up having so many calamities caused by the lack of wisdom. But Lord Sumption's point was that, you know, mm, this Lord idea Sumption. of placing mm. his assumption from Lord Sumptuous was that, um, you know, that the value of human life is uh, is a well-known economic calculation. And it, it's used all the time. It's used in health circles, for example. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a fact of life that that's the way we, 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 we deal with the numbers. Well, the funny thing is, I mean, we... I can criticise that. At the same time, one important point from David Graeber's work was that when he looked back and tried to see 
what was actually the basis of the origins of money. It was more people putting value on a human life which had been taken and saying this much money is relevant to compensation for taking that person's life. So in a bizarre sort of way, the beginnings of the monetary economy began with putting a monetary value on life. And in that sense, our, our, our Lord Sumptuous is uh, um, in, in keeping with the long tradition of reducing humanity to, um, uh, to, a, to a monetary valuation. Right. Well, when you were taking someone out, well, like if you were, because oh, no, you'd, you'd already taken them out. I mean, right. uh, it was it wasn't exactly a friendly time for humanity in general. But uh, if you see what the Sumerians treated uh, some of their uh, those conquered conquered uh, nations, but uh, yeah, the valuation was there. That's how much you've uh, you've taken. Uh, you give, give us that much back, and that's compensation for having killed so and so. Right. Okay. So you'd get more for. I'm not implying this at all. This is going back down a very <laughs> dark road. Dark, you'd get more. Yeah. You get. You'd get more for killing Lord Sumption than you would the stage four cancer. And now there's a bargain. Maybe we should suggest it to him. I'm sure <laughs> at a reasonable price, it could be an offer too good to refuse. Yes, given that we've not placed an economic value on you. Well, I mean, there's the thing as well. You know, if you are killing people, do you uh, do you get less of a prison sentence if you kill someone who's old and therefore was of lesser value to society? Mm. Uh, and maybe you, you get paid someone. after a certain age level, you know? Yep. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a very dark it, road. <laughs> I mean, to, to, I wanted to take this back to, to where we began as humans, and that's why I made the point about uh, the elders that you we used to value the elders the elders were the ones that had wisdom of the mm. of, you know then and, and that wisdom was was something that's precious to be maintained but you also had respect for the person in some ways having survived what it took to stay alive to to reach old age uh, mm. at that time so there was a degree, sense of respect and cohesion and we've lost that completely and replaced it by dollar valuation and now you get this nonsense of you know trying to say that um we should not worry about the old dying because, hey, they're old. Um, that was not exactly how our, you know, the, the original humans would have would have considered the topic. In fact, the person who said that, the young one, would probably be a part of a sumptuous feast right now, but not not with his mouth open. But or possibly you, with an app, possibly with an apple, <laughs> an on apple it. in his mouth. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, do you? Yeah. But I mean, we spend about a hundred billion pounds on state pensions in the UK, mm. which is uh, which is about five percent of GDP. Uh, most uh, pensioners, the most you can get is £175 a week, uh, which is, uh, and that's actually calculated on how long you've been paying. I know. And that's calculated on how much you've been paying. That's the most. That's based on how much you've been paying on national insurance. So if, like me, you've returned to the UK after a fairly long absence, uh, I'm not going to get very much. I'm going to basically uh, live off berries and uh, and food banks unless I can keep podcasting till the day I die, Mm. But the um, which I might have to do. Um, so, yeah, watch me gradually become more senile. I think it's already started. So, <laughs> but 175 pounds. Uh, I mean, you're going to spend all of that. So there's, you know, and, and you know, you presumably have got some money wrapped up that you've saved in other ways as well. I mean, then, and look, if that's money that's been pumped into the economy from the government overspending their budget, then we, you know, we we know that that's new money. So that the fact those old people are there, they are a useful vehicle of transmission for money into the broader economy, aren't they? So they're, they're actually, are, are they're actually, actually doing they're some actually, good. They're actually they have reason to have money created. So um, you know, they're a form of additional demand. I mean, because because there's no problem in producing output in capitalism. Let's, you know, let's, of course, not factoring the next thing we're going to face, which is global warming pushing us right backwards. But while we're ignoring the global constraints, there's nothing stopping us uh, 
using more capacity, uh, except an absence of demand. And in, in some sense, by being people who demand without producing, they're part of the aggregate demand system that keeps the rest of the economy working. So getting rid of them might actually cause a recession. Yeah. So there is no cost, really. You know, when you look at it like that, there's really no, no cost in having old people who are claiming a state pension. Well, I mean, it's, it's the same argument in favour of having young, uh, people, young people's education paid for by the state. It's, mm. a, it's a way in which the government can create money without raising any issues about whether it's um, distorting the economy or doing something the private sector should do. Uh, that's where I'd rather see you know, the, the state's capacity to create money being directed, things like that, health obviously being the other one, which is, you know, I think anybody who argues for private health uh, has had their argument shot out beneath them by, by, you know, by COVID already. But certainly education and, and aged care, those are classic reasons why the government should simply provide the money. And that's the way that it provides the deficit that gives the rest of us money that uh, enables capitalism to tick over. Yeah. And well, that's, I don't I, think Mr. Sumptuous has thought that. Mr. Sumptuous, should we just demote him rather than, you know, <laughs> putting an apple in his mouth? So the – and look, there's going to be more old people as well, obviously. We've got an ageing population in the UK, so a higher ratio. There's uh, 12 million people of pension age in the UK right now. That's about a quarter of the size of the working age population, so a ratio of one to four. By 30, 2030, that, yeah. that, that ratio is going to be uh, – 1 to 3.4 by 2040 it's going to be 1 to 2.9 okay. mm. so it's a so it's a, a much higher uh, proportion of the population are going to be of pension age so uh, you know if, if we feel like that's a problem I mean this is an argument that's got to be had hasn't it the one that we've just had pointing out well no actually they are they're, they're still consumers and and that's important yeah I mean but the other issue as well as the pressure we're putting on the planet overall. And that, like, it, 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 it's what I said, it's such a complicated issue because I go right back and say we are dehumanizing to even make have this discussion compared to what original human societies were like. And they must be the standard on which we judge ourselves, I think. Um, you look now and say, well, it's ludicrous in terms of a macroeconomic thing. You think that's a good idea because what you're doing is cutting out part of aggregate demand when there's no, when the problem is insufficient aggregate demand. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just, again, a short-term micro-orientation that's wrong uh, to be used in the context of thing which is decidedly macro. But the other thing is we have got an enormous pressure uh, of humanity on the planet. There are too many of us, and we, have to, we, we, we are going to be forced, I believe, to reduce population. I don't think there's any possibility of reaching the type of predictions people have of 10, you know, 10 billion humans. I think we're going to go backwards. Um, and in that process... There is no easy way to talk about it. There's no easy way to talk about it. No, I'm, I'm, but I mean, even in the short term, you made the point that those same people who are probably saying that, well, you know, if the old people die, the old people die. The, the same people are saying uh, that there should be a right to life. So we should have more young people being born because we shouldn't allow abortion. Yeah, and more than most like the climate change deniers as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> I don't mind casting aspersions on somebody with the last name is sumptuous, I must say. <laughs> so there's going to be a change in spending habits as well, because older people spend less eating out, less on clothing, less on doing the house up. They spend more on health. I mean, this has got to be, uh, I mean, obviously, if we, you know, we have to look and say, well, okay, the, the makeup of uh, the demands from the population, population, this aggregate demand is that the makeup of that is going to change because, uh um, you know, the, there's going to be a higher proportion of spending on health from from this aging population. Yeah, I mean, that's 
I mean, you, 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 it's, it's just not going to happen. I mean, we know that they're, they're not going to be, uh, you know, locking up the nursing homes and anybody inside them die, which is the, the logical extension of what Sumptuous is saying. Um, so, so we're going to continue making- a lot of people talking that way. I don't know. I just think if this carries on and, you know, who knows how long uh, COVID-19 is going to be with us for. Mm. I suspect, you know, it's, it, we're going to be where we are now for quite a chunk of this year, even with the vaccine. Mm. Uh, mm. I, I, look, I mean, you know, the UK, which never locked anything down at all in terms of people coming into the country, all of a sudden uh, now is talking about putting people in hotels for a couple of weeks if they arrive and having had a positive test before they leave the country that they're coming from uh, in a country where you could just waltz in until uh, until a week ago. You can't help feeling, well, that's a sudden change in, in attitude, which must mean that they've got concerns over uh, other strains of the of, of the virus not working with the vaccines that are being rolled out in this country. Or the, or the, the level of um, the main one, that would be 117 variant, is, is, is as uh, dramatic an increase in transmissibility as they thought, which yeah. means, well, you, and that's why they're beginning news back from the NHS being totally overwhelmed by the, by the numbers growing as fast as they are. Yeah, so we had the we had the biggest number for uh, for deaths yesterday as well. Um, so well, that's far. over three thousand, wasn't it? No, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't that much. It was sixteen hundred, um, but in a day. Well, which that, is that's the, the like in, when you when you make a comparable one for America, that's ten thousand a day in terms yeah. of comparing into America's population. When America's currently running at about two thousand, and America's a disaster. Yeah, so no, UK's yeah. doing worse. Yeah, exactly. Oh well, you, God. UK yeah. now actually I think has the highest number of deaths um, per, per head of population in the world. But look, the the argument that's given, even this um, the, the 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 poster child or the poster city for the um, for the people who were for herd immunity uh, was Manaus in Brazil. Uh, which um, was actually had very little in the, in the way of assistance during the first wave of the virus. It was unchecked, basically, and it killed half a million uh, people in the uh, uh, before it reached herd immunity. And then, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, the 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 infection stopped because you know everyone said, "Well, we've reached herd immunity in Manaus. There we are. Now we know the point." Basically, one in five hundred people. Um, when they, when one in five hundred people will die, uh, and then uh, it'll be over with. Let's look at Manas. So that's all we need to put up with. One in five hundred. Oh, is that acceptable? Which actually, you know, is not too far away from where the, the UK is heading right now. So if that is the case, you'd say, well, okay, cool. Maybe we don't need to lock down. We'll just reach herd immunity and get on with our lives. But. Only 6% of the population of Manaus are aged over 60, and 90% of the UK deaths so far are over 60, um, and 23% of the UK population is aged over 60. So if you, if you put all of that together, uh, one in 500 deaths for a city of Manaus, which is 2 million, uh, that uh, that means 4,000 deaths. Uh, uh, if you look at that and uh, you look at the UK population, which is 16 and a half million are over 60. So uh, in Manaus, 120,000 are over 60. So that would mean 3,600 deaths to get your one in, uh, would, would actually be one in 33 deaths in Manaus. So in the UK, one in 33 deaths in the over 60s, with uh, uh, where 16 and a half million people over 60 would mean half a million deaths. Would we be happy mm. with having half a million people dying? in the UK before we uh, reached herd immunity. Seems like a rather large number, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it, it is a bizarre twist of this particular virus that it knocks off the old rather than the young because, of course, the Spanish flu was the other way around. It, it, yeah. it killed more young people than the First World War did. 
Well, so then there's the thing, and they were an economic productive age. So, uh, so people would be arguing that that was a bigger concern because it was killing mm. people who were impacting the economy. Whereas, uh, you know, if we assume that uh, old age pensioners don't contribute anything, so then uh, then less of an impact. But uh, look, the the interesting thing about Manas is that he didn't reach herd immunity. There's a second part to this story, which mm. is comes as no surprise. You know, the virus has returned now to Manaus. It's uh, rifling through the population. The hospitals, like they are in the UK, are over capacity. They are having to uh, fly in oxygen to the hospitals. They're taking people out of Manaus to get treated in other places. So there is no head immunity basically they've uh, they thought they'd reached it but the second wave has come and it's come back to bite them with a vengeance and it's worse than the first time so uh, mm, I've been so told that, by that, some friends of mine in, in, in medical circles that uh, herd immunity has never been achieved except by a vaccine so the whole thing no. you could do through the disease itself was wrong to begin with yeah so what does it what happens if we do go through this for a long time then how does the attitude change not just to old age pensioners but 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 generally, I mean, and I mean, the government will just have to keep on pumping in more and more money into into the economy. Uh, already, we're seeing uh, politicians trying to to backtrack on spending. I mean, already we've got the chancellor in the UK mm. talking about how he's going to have to um, tax more, starting with corporate taxes because he doesn't want to necessarily push up tax on individuals. And then there's obviously going to be spending cuts as well. All the stuff that, uh, you know, makes no sense for an economy that's trying to recover. But that's just going to get worse and worse. If we went through another year of this with more spending uh, and uh, and absolutely no conversations being held about writing off debt. That's why I would like to take this whole discussion back to the issue to the issue of how do we fight how do we how did, how did uh, Europe and England in particular fight the second second world war and mm. the answer was it paid for it by running a deficit when you take a look at the numbers that are involved um, the the whole vision that the pri- public sector has to borrow from the private sector to pay for government deficits uh, is total nonsense because they di- didn't suddenly find forty percent of GDP worth of extra money in one year, but that was the scale of the uh, government deficit in 1940. Similar thing for America in 1942, its deficit was 30% of GDP. And when when you look at how do they find the money to pay for 30% of GDP worth of bonds, it was created by the deficit. Uh, This is why the the points that modern monetary theory makes are so vitally important because we're seeing constraints that simply don't exist. uh, And they they flow, again, from not understanding the accounting of banking, mm. and uh, and so if we if we end up doing this as well, imposing austerity, <clears throat> pardon me, on top of the damage that the virus itself has done to productive capacity and and demand as well, um, you're, you're asking for social breakdown out of this, which is unnecessary. It is simply bad policy. So how did we cope in situations like this when uh, when currencies were tied to the supply of currency and the value of currency was tied to to the gold standard? And I think it we just ignored it. We, we just no, ignored I mean, it, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, there was all there was never a physical gold involved in any of those so-called gold-based currencies. The only time gold turned up in any uh, dramatic sense as a as a currency was international trade, where you didn't have uh, before you had the acceptance of paying money, say in English pounds and things of that nature. So when the fiat system didn't work, then gold and silver were used for international transactions. And when you had uh, uh, periods like the 30 Years' War or the 100 Years' War in, in Europe, when there was no guarantee the king you were fighting for was going to survive, you, as a mercenary, demanded payment in gold or silver. 
so whichever way the battle went, used to or financial the day after. Um, so the idea that those things were, were a limit is just false. Right. But I mean, so when we were <clears throat> tied to the gold standard, mm. the amount of money that was the amount of US dollars that was in circulation wasn't restricted by the availability of gold. It was, no, just, re- no. it was just tied to the value of gold. Yeah, yeah. So you could buy gold, you know, under Nick's, under the Bretton Woods, you could buy gold at $35 an ounce, but there was no way that the amount of gold controlled how much money could be created. And this is where some of the tensions have got involved in its its breakdown anyway. Yeah, because there was too much money and therefore it was easy. Yeah, so much much money you could use it to buy the gold, all all of the gold that was in existence, which is what the French tried to do. And it wasn't just the government creating money, it was the private banking sector as well, which is left out of their thinking too. Right. So, okay. So, do we? At what point, if we if we went through, um, you know, another year or even another two years of this spending at the rate we are now, the government overspends to a to a very large amount. There's a lot more money which is being pumped into the economy to make it survive. So, is there actually that much more money being pumped into the economy? Because there's no if 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 government money is being spent to pay people uh, that are inactive because they can't do their jobs. I guess there's more money. It's just not circulating very fast. Yeah, so there's more stock. There's there's much, much, much stock of money in that sense. I mean, you. But the circulation has stopped to basically almost zero. Not quite zero, but it's it's, a fraction. Yeah, Yeah. but it 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 could be. You know, in some ways, that could actually fix up the important imbalance uh, in the monetary system. That's too much private debt because Mm. again, this happened during the Second World War as well. As the government was just pumping money into the armament system, without which it wouldn't have beaten the Germans, um, then um, who, who, who beat them to it, by the way, by understanding monetary creation uh, about a decade ahead of, ahead of um, uh, you know, England's own experiment with it. Um, they, this, that, that, that money creation financed the war, and it also meant that the private sector had nothing to spend its money on uh, apart from basic rations and so on. And so in that process, they, the private sector saved money and paid, paid its debt down without causing a recession. Um, so uh, that, this, this one side effect, this amount of government money creation could be the sort of accidental jubilee that I always thought would come in the aftermath to a financial crisis. It may come in the aftermath to covid Right, so people pay off the debts that they owe. So when we come out the other side, but when we they they they're not holding so much debt, so they've got the ability to spend. And you also have like is more government money creation. There's more government money to circulate. Um, right, that itself. But, hence the fears of inflation at that point, though, isn't it? That if there's so much that happened, you've got such a big increase in the in the money supply, and people can, and and then the moment that starts circulating, then you've got the then the economy's running hot. Well, then the, but the other thing, of course, is that, that calculus leaves out the role of private debt and the fact that people may use that money to pay their debt down because they've got nothing else to do with it. The worry mm-hmm. that I see is that a lot of this, particularly in, in Australia, and I think we're seeing this in Canada and also, I believe, even the UK and America, a house price is going run away again. So people mm-hmm. are using their money to go back and, spe- and finance and speculate on financial assets once more. And you think, you know, that that is the suicidal alternative. You'd be... F- it's a time to be reducing the gearing of the private sector, not increasing it. But that's unfortunately seems to be the way some of that money is being used. Well, did you see there was an RBA report which was uncovered, I think, by the AFR, the Australian Financial Review, uh, mm. a obviously a top secret report they didn't want anyone to see that was uh, speculating that, in fact, house prices in Australia, um, uh, if interest rates continued uh, to be low, could uh, could go up by 30% in the next few years. Mm. 
Yeah. So they so they know they just don't know what to do about it because <laughs> they don't want to push interest rates up. They're between a yeah. rock and a hard place. I don't know mm-hmm. how you fix that problem. What would they? I mean, we're going off uh, where we started on all of this. It's an interesting discussion. How do they fix that? Well, I mean, the, the, this this is what we haven't fixed. We don't we don't. The money hasn't been used to get ready for a, 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 a not just a post COVID world, but a post climate change world. Uh, if you're going yeah. to find that our you know trade lines can no longer be as long as they were, you can no longer have overseas production, you need to have it domestically, then that requires factories, which we haven't built. Uh, Bubble economies haven't. So you're going to have expensive house prices, but no productive capacity when you're going to need that productive capacity desperately. So I see it as something which can work until it fails tragically. And that's a bit like the same way that uh, minimising public costs by not preparing for a pandemic fails tragically when you have a pandemic. Could you fix it with differential interest rates? Could you say, well, okay, if you want to get a home loan, you're going to have to pay a lot more than if you're going to invest in, you're going to borrow money to invest in, in, in building a factory? No, yeah, you could, but I, um, I, yeah, I think that's another another topic. Maybe we better get back for to another our day. Old exactly. Let's go back to the old people then, very quickly uh, well, to, to round off. Let's let's at least finish where we started. Mm. If uh, old people are getting 175 pounds a week, and it's you know if we if we follow the monetary theory line that if it's all extra money that the government wouldn't have otherwise spent if those people hadn't existed, mm. why not give them 350 pounds a week? I mean, what's it's? Uh, they will spend three hundred and fifty pounds a week. Um, they've got nothing else to uh, to do with it, um, and that's all good for the economy. They've got the time to spend it. Why are we limiting how much money we give to old people who have a who are a very useful vehicle? Actually, got a lot of value, Lord Sumption, uh, because they can you know because they're they're out shopping. Why not yeah. uh, double it so they we, yeah, d- yeah, we, double the input it, into the economy. It's the whole supply-side focus of mainstream economic thinking uh, when the weaknesses in capitalism are on the demand side Mm. and uh, what you're giving money to students, giving money to old people, uh, giving money to hospitals is all a way of creating the money that the rest of us use in the private sector. And the less you do it, the less well the private sector works, not the better. Yeah. Okay. We'll leave it there because that is a very easy to understand point to finish off on. We should. Oh, I can't uh, have that. I know. <laughs> Think demand, not supply. I like it. Okay. Good talk, Steve. Catch you again next week. Okay, mate. Bye. And next time we are going to look at the supposed independence of central banks. They, of course, aren't that independent anymore. Through this crisis, they have colluded with governments to try and uh, get some sort of coordination about how best to uh, get money to get the economy working again. So can central banks ever be independent ever again? And should they? And what should be the division of uh, the work between uh, the Treasury and central banks? We'll look at all of that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. I'll be back next week too. See you then. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.